Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the producer that's like Hugh Hefner, except without all the playmates. Yeah, he has to play with himself. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It's Tuesday night and uh, summer weather is upon us. It feels like summer in the south tonight. Uh, on tonight's show in Pipe Parts, I'm going to talk about a couple of uh, a couple of American pipe makers from the past that I think are uh, good values on the estate pipe market and two completely different styles. So hope you enjoy that. Uh, my guest tonight is Sasquatch or Todd Bannard, pipe maker from Canada. So we'll have him on the phone. Uh, mailbag music. Rant, all that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, Coming up in the next two weeks, hey, we are 100% pre-recorded because the Griswolds are, I mean, uh, the family is going to Europe. Yeah, I'll be in Europe for two weeks, so if you're in uh, Copenhagen, Paris, or London, and you happen to see a pipe smoker standing outside on the street, that might be me. Uh, hopefully I'll uh, be able to post some pictures to my Facebook feed and uh, keep you all updated on where we are and what we're doing. But it's uh, finally the uh, once in a lifetime and uh, once before the kids are old, married, gone off family trip to Europe. Um, in the meantime, remember, eh, speaking of uh, different numbers and stuff, uh, remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are listening to this fine show to listen to it, and you've got to be slightly crazy to uh, enjoy this show. Um, anyway, if you could, we would appreciate you going on to iTunes and leaving us a rating or a review. That would be much appreciated. You can do the same thing on Stitcher, and comments, post them all. Uh, when, when I get back from the trip, I'll get caught up on the mailbag for you, but I do love getting all those comments. All right. Uh, one last thing before we get the show going, don't forget, uh, <laughs> thank you all. Don't forget. Let me just say thank you all. The JDRF auctions are done for the year. We've exceeded our goal and, uh, we've even given away a t-shirt. So appreciate that does mean a lot to me. All right, now we can get into the fun part, so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, so the uh, the discussion came up uh, probably uh, on Thursday night at the Chicago Pipe Show, and uh, we're talking about pipe makers that aren't there that have recently uh quit the business or have left pipe making or for some reason or another just you know can't do it anymore uh so i thought you know what i'll i'll pick out a couple of pipe makers from the u.s market that you still see their estates around and i think they're for the quality of what they're doing and for the style of work that they're doing they're they're both unique and a good value 
the first one is Michael Fry, who uh, started making uh, uh, made pipes uh, since the early 1980s, and he was a student of Mike Butera. So in the same, you'll see some of the same styles and some of the same little tricks that Butera does, but at the same time you'll see. Uh, you'll see Michael take his own slant on a shape. Um, you'll see that more um, that that more that bigger kind of Italian esque style to the pipes. Much, you know, not much of a Danish influence in his traditional shapes, but more of that uh, that American uh, Northern Italian influence of you know larger pipes, more uh, hardy hand felt pipes. But again, he was also, you know, he learned under Butera, so we know the, you know, the fit and the finish and the engineering is uh, is absolutely perfect, um, and and mainly classical shapes, which is, uh, you know, which is nice to see. Uh, he did deviate off of the classical shapes occasionally, and you'll you'll see some uh, some freehand esque, some Danish style of the uh, the freehand of the '80s and '90s. Now, what happened with Michael was he was a uh, he was a part time pipe maker and tried to uh, when the first pipe shows started coming around he tried to switch to full time and found out that it's you know it's hard to make a living full time at pipe making and uh, he just kind of he stopped making pipes. Uh, so if you see his pipes on the market, you know there's no more coming. If you find one in an estate. You know what? It's going to be a whole lot less expensive than finding a Butera or a uh, or yeah, another pipe of that era from that same quality. So, Michael Fry, F R E Y. The other one is uh, Horace Desjarnet, and uh, Horace, I actually got the pleasure of meeting twice, and he passed away in 2013. Uh, now, Horace said, and this is from his Pipepedia.org page, All of my pipes are carved from the finest quality Algerian briar I can find. I coat each bowl with a special pre-carved treatment, which speeds up the break-in process after the third, uh, after the third bowl of smoke, as if it had been in your collection for years. Uh, he, uh, he uses a smaller draft hole than many. But it's uh, you know it's a little different. Uh, he's got a uh, you know, but still a very good open draw. Uh, Horace came into pipe making as uh, yeah, he he quit smoking cigarettes and then picked up the pipe. Now, when you look at Horace's uh, Horace's pipes, when I met him, he was living in Arizona. And got a chance to work with a couple other pipe makers there and you know, telephone conversations and stuff like that. But you can definitely see the uh, the Danish influence, the early Danish influence. Uh, and then you can, uh, you can also see some of his appreciation of the Southwest Desert. So some really outlandish shapes that follow the grain but always the pipe follows the grain it'll be a big beautiful grained piece uh he'll use some inlays and some other stuff that might uh 
lean towards that Southwest style. Uh, at the same time, he also did some classic shapes that were, again, more on that uh, that early Italian-American style of a bigger, thicker, more solid pipe. But he did the classics uh, much less than he did the... Uh, uh, than what he did with the free hands. So you'll you'll see so it's kind of an opposite of what Michael Fry did where Fry was mainly classics and the occasional sculpted or shaped pipe and Horace some really large pipes, some really ornate pipes and then the occasional classic. Uh both of them from what I've seen on the estate market, I think they're a really good value right now for what they are. And if uh, that has to do with anything, maybe after talking about them here on the radio show, uh, prices will go up. Um, Anyway, Horace Desjardins and Michael Fry. And in just a minute, from Canada, pipe maker Todd Bannard will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and we're going up north. Finally thawed out so we could get a hold of you, but we have the one and the only Sasquatch, uh, better known as Todd Bannard. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yes. Okay, perfect. So welcome, Todd, to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you. All right, so let, let's. first of all, most people know you as Sasquatch on the forums and uh and around the interwebs yeah that is a name that uh i coined a long time ago uh, back when i figured i'd be anonymous for safety uh and uh, i mean that all turned out to be a bit silly i suppose uh was was the anonymity because you're a canadian a canadian smoker uh, <laughs> smoker that's right that that rarest uh, of things um no, I think it just started that way um, because there was a time when it, it didn't mean anything for me to, to be a someone uh, on any of this stuff. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, those platforms, they were a little different, too. Um, I don't think that it meant quite as much to have a name, an actual real person's name attached to these personas, right? Yeah. All right, so let, let's get to know you. Where did you uh, Where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you were growing up? I grew up in the beautiful city of Calgary in a completely boring, uh, the whitest, most middle-class, average uh, sort of childhood you could ever ask for. 
the American dream kind of thing. Uh, and uh, maybe because of that, I, I didn't really have a, an awful lot of aspirations uh, in terms of you know being a really driven person. Uh, I chased stuff that I, I found interesting. I uh, did a chemistry degree at the end of my schooling and, and then got into construction uh, after that. Uh, and, and just kind of wandered along and, and bumped along. Uh, so when did uh, when did pipe smoking come into your life? A long time ago uh, now. I mean, it was high school, uh, and, and a buddy of mine got a, got a pipe somewhere, uh, and it, it stirred memories of my dad smoking a pipe when I was, you know, really little, because uh, I think he stopped when I was two or three. Uh, and I thought it was cool. I thought it was this neat uh stupid thing to do, right? Uh, a way to be markedly different than, than everybody else uh, at that point when you're 17 or 18. Uh, and so I, I got one too, and, and we used to sit and, and smoke and, and probably look, you know, completely silly. Uh, and nobody nobody ever cared uh, anyway uh, what we looked like. <laughs> did, your, did your parents approve of it, or was it uh, sneaking around behind their back? There was a, a little bit of sneaking for a while. Um, eventually, you get old enough uh, to, to tell your parents that, you know, you, you, you smoke in there. And, of course, you know, you think that you're hiding things from your parents, but you're not, right? I mean, they know everything that's going on anyway uh, with their kids. Uh, it's more that they sort of let you do the things that are only sort of semi-harmful. <laughs> uh, so I don't really think that they cared a hell of a lot because uh, they didn't see it as a big big deal it's not like i was uh out you know using heroin or something uh i was sitting with other nerds occasionally smoking a, a pipe full of tobacco i just don't think they thought it was a, a big big deal uh, so what year would that have been and do you remember what the tobacco was oh clearly uh i mean captain black right uh because nothing nothing smells better uh and we had the occasional package of uh, the brown amphora which was uh, sort of our drugstore tobacco up here. This would have been uh, like early 90s, 90, 91, 92 kind of thing, I guess. Um, so we, we, we were stuck with uh, the drugstore stuff for the most part because we were sort of penniless, uh, you know, high school students. And occasionally, occasionally, maybe somebody uh, in that little group of three or four guys would uh, sneak off to a, a real tobacconist and get uh, some, you know, one of their local blends. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty exciting stuff, you know. Do you remember how much that pouch of Amphora Brown might have been when you bought it in the early 90s? Yeah, I mean, uh, we could get 50 grams for something like 12 bucks at that point. And now that 50-gram pouch is probably 38 to $40? Probably more like 40 between 40 and 50 yeah depending on what you're buying yeah so up here and, and that's going the same way in the states the states has realized that these are cash cows these taxes yeah yeah we're, we're not there yet but we're trying real hard to catch up to you yeah it's catching up uh, quickly so i mean uh, the, the advice of everybody in the community to buy buy heavily seller wide seller deep and uh, and protect it um when did uh, so was there a point in your life where pipe smoking became a full-time regular kind of a hobby passion yeah um 
That's about 10 years ago. Uh, it, it came back into my life in a more uh, sort of serious way. It had been you know, very much off and on, uh, you know, here and there uh, only for, for years and years. And then for whatever reason, uh, yeah, about 10 years ago, it, 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 it kind of hooked me more, uh, maybe because a guy has a job and a little bit of money and can buy some racer pipes and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I got going, got back into it. And uh, and that's been pretty consistent since, uh, just as a as a lifestyle thing. When did pipe making come about? Right, shortly after that, uh, and that started because I broke a pipe and was sitting stewing about that, and I had this idea that uh, you know if only I could get a a stem and somehow spin it and, and cut a tenon, I could repair the pipe. And then I realized that I had all the stuff I needed to do that, sitting in the shop in the dust out in the mouse turds. Uh, and if I was to, to dig that stuff out, namely a, a small lathe, uh, and, and procure a pipe stem somehow, uh, that I could fix this pipe. And that's exactly what I did, and it went really smooth. And I thought, oh boy, you know, that's, that was great. Uh, you know, what, what have I been doing? Uh, to you know, to have ignored this uh, set of tooling that I have, and right about that time, uh, I got in contact with a guy who was carving in Hamilton uh, by the name of Wolfgang Blazajewski, which I think some people will probably remember. Um, and he was carving pipes and bringing briar into the country and, and that kind of stuff. And so I started talking to him about how how to do that. Uh, you know how to get the the actual pipe making stuff and actually make actual pipes. Uh, and as soon as that fire got lit, then I mean it's that's uh, all I've thought about ever since. <laughs> so so you, you decided that was it. I'm going to stop eating, and all I'm going to do is uh, is try to make a pipe. Yeah, it. I mean, I'm a little bit of an obsessive person, and I think probably most pipe makers that you know, do more than sort of, you know, one or two pipes as a hobby. I think most of us probably are. There's so many ways for pipes to get perfected, uh, and there's so many ways to miss, right? Uh, it takes a, a slightly a slightly crazy person, someone who's really, really focused and determined to get all these little things corrected uh, and produce something that, that isn't just a... Uh, a potato, you know, just a horrible lump of, of garbage of, of grade eight shop project uh, quality, you know. Were you actually, did you actually work with somebody or were you uh, doing the the pipe makers forums and uh, questions and yeah, answers? For, sh for sure. I'm, I'm of the, of the early generation of what a guy's going to call an internet pipe maker. Uh, I did not work with anybody. I was working on my own. I got, hooked up with other pipe makers through things like uh, the pipe making forum, uh, talk to those guys, uh, talk to, um, you know, more established carvers, uh, Rad Davis, Tyler Beard, uh, those kind of guys uh, were, were really nice and, and unselfish uh, with their, their time and their advice. Uh, but no, it's, it's been mostly uh, just, Keep doing it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it uh, until you get good at it somehow. 
I'm I'm looking on your website and the website is bstpipes.com. It's Briar Sweat and Tears, which I'm going to ask you about eventually, but the, the first thing that I want to that I want to say is where did the it, it looks like you have a great appreciation and love of the classic shapes with a slight twist. Uh where did that come from? Where did that come from? Um I guess, I mean, maybe I'm just a, a stodgy traditionalist uh, deep down inside. Uh, it's, it's grown, actually. I mean, I think everybody starts, when you start carving pipes, you think, here I am. Uh, okay, I've got my briar. I'm the next bow nord, right? <laughs> that's, that's the initial dream is, uh, watch, I'm going to show these guys uh, how this is going to go. And the truth is, it's nothing like that, right? You, you carve this lumpy potato, uh, and your grandmother pats you on the back. Uh, but the <laughs> truth is, it's no good, and, and your next pipes are no good. Uh, and it's hard. It's really, really hard to make something nice looking. And so I, I kind of went down that path of, of what I'll call arty sort of pipes um, and, and did a bunch of ugly stuff. And when I got back into traditional factory shapes, French and English uh, stuff, you know, billiards, uh, and really tried to dial that stuff in. A couple of things happened. One is I started really understanding what makes those pipes beautiful and perfect and why they've lasted. Those designs have lasted hundreds of years now. Uh, it also made me a better pipe maker, much more able to go back to uh, other sort of freeform shapes and, and do a nicer job on them because the skill set had improved and, and the eye-hand relationship uh, had improved by force trying to make these uh, difficult sort of set shapes, right? So somewhere in that process, what happens is I realized I loved those shapes and I didn't, I didn't care an awful lot uh, to carve snails and, uh, you know, weirder, more esoteric shapes. I'm I'm quite happy to run billiards out all week, uh, and it turns out people are quite happy to buy them. <laughs> That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more with uh, Sasquatch, and I got a couple of specific questions on some of your shapes because I'm looking at them online, and they're just they're the. I got to ask you some questions. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment, so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information.
we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, the one and only Sasquatch of the North. Uh, so, so, Todd, I'm looking at your pipes, and, I mean, the first thing that hits me is you're, you're not exactly your normal straight and narrow personality, but uh, your pipes are pretty straight and narrow. Uh, I, I see some variations in the, in the real shapes. Um, is there a, is, is there a tweak to a shape that you've tried that hasn't worked out? <laughs> Most of them haven't worked out. <laughs> um, I mean, a little bit, uh, actually that, that's sort of a joke, but it sort of isn't. Um, it's much easier to make a horrible looking pipe. And it's often <laughs> the case of a millimeter here or there. Um, and one of the things that I'm paralyzed by is is that fear of uh, if I adjust this or if I try this other thing over here, uh, maybe the thing's going to come out horrible, right? I'm going to hate it. Yeah. Uh, and so, so there there is a little bit of fear there, but mostly what drives it is uh, for me just uh, I like these these classical and neoclassical shapes. It's what I own. It's what I smoke. Uh, it's what feels best in my hand. It's, they look like pipes to me. They're things that I want to load with tobacco and smoke. And they're and they're a little uh, they're a little easier to make than something that looks like a uh, backflipped moose head. Well, they they are uh, are and aren't. Uh, if you miss a billiard, uh, everybody can see it. And if you miss the the, the reverse uh, speared moose head. Nobody has any idea what you were trying to do, uh, and 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 so it's it's easier to fake it in a sense. Uh, so there probably isn't as much time on a just an ordinary bent billiard as there would be for a you know a bamboo blowfish. Uh, but there's there's also an awful lot less cheating. That you know there, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. If you screw it up, it, it's over. Throw it away. <laughs> Um, when you were, when you were first smoking a pipe or first got into pipe making itself, was there a shape of a pipe that you really craved that, I mean, the, that just kind of blew your mind? It blew my mind. Um, the top end Danish pipes, and I'm talking about Bo Nord and S-Bang and that kind of stuff. And seeing how those guys were able to use grain and shape and the stem material and, and make this perfectly seamless, uh, natural piece of art, uh, that blew my mind. Uh, but in terms of pipes and pipe smoking, no, I'm a bent billiard guy. I've got 20 of them and that's just about all I smoke. <laughs> Uh, is that because you've got like you're like nine feet tall and you got giant hands and a bent billiard just fits better? Yeah, that is partly partly the case. I think that, that I'm a bigger dude. Uh, I'm often busy with my hands and I can just pop a bent billiard in, uh, you know, into the mouth and and go. Um, so so that that's part of it, and part of it's just that I'm an, an old cranky old man now and and you know <laughs> boring, right? Are you uh, are you making pipes full time or are you also uh, doing a real living? No, I do a real living. Uh, the pipe thing started. The hope was 
when it's minus 100 up here and, and the wind is howling and the snow is blowing, if I could have a little project where I didn't have to go outside and I didn't have to pack up my tools, didn't have to do any of that awful stuff, um, and just work in my shop, wouldn't that be nice? And that's what it became, is a sort of a more like a winter thing or a rainy day thing. Uh, and it, it blossomed to where, I mean, I, I probably could or could have done it full time. Uh, but it just, it, you don't make money as a pipe maker uh, the way you make money uh, building decks and fences, put it that way. Uh, it's, it, you just can't. Uh, you, and even if you could on a day, uh, and I can, you know, it's a day here or there. But what you run out of is, uh, you know, it's the first five pipes you make, yeah, those all sell. And then if the next week, maybe you make five more pipes, but maybe only four of those sell, because... You know, uh, not everybody wants to buy a BST pipe every day. Then the next week, maybe only three of them sell. And then suddenly you're sitting on three in stock that you start thinking about sending to a retailer. But that's going to be for a bit of a discount. You know, so the, the actual money that a guy can make at this on a day-in, day-out basis is is it's, it's tough to get by on that. And I think that uh, a starting pipe maker would be well-warned to consider you know, that making a pipe a week and selling it is a lot different than making six or seven pipes a week and selling them. Well, and doesn't, for you, doesn't it make it, it makes it fun for you when there's not the pressure of having to make pipes for sale and when you go into the shop, you can just, yes. you're, you're just free wheeling yes. and having fun. Yeah, the, the pressure, that is why I backed off. Uh, and I don't want to sound like a dick here, but I, I think at one point there there, there was pressure that uh, this guy looked like the next guy. Uh, and when I started feeling that, man, yeah, the fun was gone, gone. Yeah. And I, I backed off and stopped making pipes for uh, I don't know, probably six months. Uh, not something, I don't know, it might be something like five years ago. Uh, and, and just recalibrated my brain about what what I needed to do for a living and, and what pipes were supposed to be and how to keep them that way. Uh, not have that love go away uh, because of, of the pressure to perform uh, or the pressure to make a better pipe every time, that, that each pipe should be a better piece of art than the last. Uh, I, I reconciled the fact that I, I'm just going to make pipes, you know, and, and that, that they're good enough. <laughs> uh, where... <laughs> Where'd the uh, BST name come from? Well, that is what it takes to make a pipe. You know, they're not easy. Uh, it takes briar sweat and tears. <laughs> uh, and so it was kind of a joke. Uh, and again, this this is a thing where a guy is, you know, you need to stamp something on a pipe you've made. And all I saw everywhere was that everybody is uh, using their own name or just their last name maybe. Uh, and I just thought, I'm, I'm just going to be lost in a sea of other makers, uh, Joe Johnson pipes, right? Uh, and I just, I thought, well, this would be kind of funny. Uh, it's also, my initials are STD. And, and so there's a, a bit of an anagram in there, too. It's not totally random. I, I'm just glad it's not blood, sweat, and tears. Cause I, Lots I, of times it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I don't, uh, don't want to know what that stain is. Yeah, that red stain, that's right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's easy. You watch guys uh, on the videos and, and everybody's cutting tenons and shaping away and having a good time and you never see people snagging fingers on the table saw or uh, uh, sanding through their fingernails, uh, you know, and, and cursing and putting Band-Aids on and that kind of stuff. 
you never see pictures of the pipes on the or video of the pipes getting grabbed by the buffing wheel and shot across the room. Shot across the room and snapped in half, or or just thrown on the floor in disgust because something didn't work, or the briar's no good, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Warning, kids! This video is not suitable for children. Uh, <laughs> Lots of times, it's not. So, how do you stamp your pipes? How do you grade them? And where do you where does the pricing start out? The the basic stamp is BST. Um, that's my my basic. This is a good pipe grade. Uh, those also get, uh, in most cases, one Sasquatch footprint. Just as a reminder of, of uh, I guess the, the provenance of the pipe. Um, I stamp on pipes that I like a lot, or pipes that have really really nice briar uh, pipes that might have got a little more work in terms of shape or finish. Uh, I will stamp Bannard on those. The, the Bannard handmade uh, is, a, is a slightly higher grade. Uh, they're still not way, way more expensive. Uh, my basic pricing is probably something like 275 for a, a rusticated or a sandblasted BST with, with no adornments, no silver work, nothing like that. And ranging up, uh, I think uh, my the most expensive pipe I ever sold was probably something like 450 bucks, and that was a, a completely ridiculous piece of briar and a very, very <laughs> difficult shape. What else do you do in your uh, in your free time? In my free time, I play guitar. I build guitars now. I've been fooling around with that, uh, electric guitars. Um, I'm not uh, smart enough to build an acoustic guitar. Uh, but I'm a busy dude. I've got uh, kids and dogs and wives and, well, wife, uh, that, uh, that need attention, too. Uh, so, I mean, my free time, in a sense, uh, I don't have a ton of that because often I'm, you know, driving people around or uh, dealing with uh, whatever, whatever needs to be dealt with with the family. Um, if I can sneak it, I'm out in the bike shop. So if you built me an electric guitar, would I play exactly like Eddie Van Halen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the guarantee. Oh, man, that's absolutely perfect. Um, or, <laughs> a, a, or a bass guitar, and then I'd play just like Getty Lee. That's right, yeah. How's that? I got yeah, a little... and if I build you a pipe, you can smoke anything you want, and it'll all taste like uh, uh, the forgotten blends of yesteryear. Uh, with a hint of mulberry and uh, leather. Yeah, and stewed figs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how often do you get a chance to actually like smoke a pipe is it only when you're working on pipes uh in the summer i i like to end my evening with a glass of bourbon uh, and a pipe whenever i can uh so i'm you know a, a few bowls a week uh but i'm not a uh, a heavy guy I very very rarely uh you know manage two in a day that you know, uh, if I'm at a pipe show or if there's friends over or something, that'll happen. Uh, the summertime up there is uh, not very long, so uh, do you get much of a chance to smoke during the rest of the 10 months of winter? Well, yeah, my shop is heated, and uh, I mean, there's nothing probably dumber than standing over, a, you know, the, the vent for a, a dust collector. <laughs> uh, with a pipe uh, going, you know, uh, twist your head the wrong way and, and dump some hot ash in there, and it would probably get 
pretty exciting. But yeah, I can I can uh, smoke anytime I feel like it because I have basically a dedicated space uh, to do so. And there, there's a couple of musical references on your website, so I'm assuming you're uh, you're into some uh, pretty heavy music that you can uh, crank up while you're working on pipes. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm that fat bald dad that, that listens to heavy metal, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Black Sabbath, uh, Guns N' Roses out here, uh, lots of Pink Floyd. Uh, so those ref- those uh, resonances are uh, imbued in every pipe for sure. Do you have a preference of uh, before Ozzy or after Ozzy? Uh, in terms of Black Sabbath, yeah. Oh, the, the early stuff, yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't mind uh, Dio and uh, you know that kind of thing as a singer, but I thought that the music was uh, a little less sort of forced or commercialized or something. Uh, early on and did that does that influence the uh your your guitar playing and that yeah i mean uh again you talk about those childhood dreams uh everybody wants to be eddie van halen (laughs) uh you know and so yeah there's there's a bit of that uh that wannabe uh, rock star uh, in me you bet (laughs) <laughs> so that would explain why you don't want to make an acoustic guitar. <laughs> it's just too hard. Uh, that's just a whole different level. Uh, you know, you, then you have to keep your shop humidified at an exact amount and that kind of thing. That's a rabbit hole. If I go down that hole, I, I don't know. I'd never come out. Somehow I have a feeling somewhere in the next 10 to 20 years, you may go down that rabbit hole and take a shot at it. Uh, I'm just guessing. Yeah. You know, I may. Uh, I find as I get older, I'm less interested in digging holes for a living and, and uh, humping great big slabs of lumber around and working in my shop and not commuting anywhere and, and not the hassles of contracting. Uh, not having that stuff, just making a product, and if people want to buy it, they can. It's, it's so much easier, you know, just so much less stress, uh, assuming that you've got buyers. <laughs> and uh, not as many mouths to feed at that moment. No, and maybe not quite as as, as big a demand for cash at that point. Yeah, uh, and again, I mean, the pipe thing, uh, part of the design of that was as maybe uh, as a retirement or semi-retirement kind of gig, right? Just something that a guy can do that's a little easier uh, on the body than, than a day in the field as a carpenter. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we'll see. The FDA may, may have scuttled... Uh, uh, everybody's plans in this regard. Who who knows what what things look like? Hey, listen, Canada may become the pipe smoking mecca of the world as we all move up there. So uh, if I were you guys, well, it's really yeah, funny. <laughs> look out, here we come. You know, yeah, that that maybe, and it isn't. I think it isn't clear, but maybe all of the American artisan pipe makers are are doing something illegal at this point, uh, and I'm not. It's it's really ironic. <laughs> oh Canada no I won't sing I promise uh, Todd we will, <laughs> we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions no right answer no wrong answer just whatever comes to your mind are you ready sure what is your favorite pipe Peterson 140th anniversary and what is your favorite tobacco Club Blend Mac Baron. 
what is your favorite drink? Well, these days it's probably bourbon. Good old American bourbon? Good old American bourbon. I really enjoy a lot of the wild turkey uh, products. Uh, Four Roses is pretty good. So we're getting our bourbons up there, huh? Yeah, it's it's been years and years where we had very very little selection, and uh, and suddenly in the last two or three years it's really opened up, uh, and I can get good bourbon up here. Uh, and when I compare it particularly to the spice of scotch, uh, it's a good deal, and uh, I love this stuff. It turns out. <laughs> uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Probably book. That was the answer I was not expecting, but we'll go with it. Um, and finally, <laughs> do you have a, a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Oh, see, that's not fair as a, as a quick answer. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of fun, fun pipe smoking memories uh, because, in a sense, pipes are memory machines, right? They're, pipes offer big, long, contemplative moments. Uh, so I, no, I don't have a single answer for that. I have hundreds and hundreds of answers for that. Uh, every bowl I've ever shared with other pipe smokers, uh, sitting around a campfire or a table, uh, you know, and talking about life and the universe and everything. I'll tell you what we'll do if you promise. Uh, we'll come, we'll have you back on and you can talk about five or six of your favorite, uh, contemplative moments with a pipe and, by that time, it may be a local show, and we'll all be Canadians then. <laughs> That's right. There'll be a Canadian broadcast at that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds good to me. As long as I do not have to listen to Celine Dion, I'm fine. Yeah, no, we'll we'll trade uh, uh, her out, uh, no problem, uh, and ship her south yeah. and, uh, and import some better stuff than that. Every time I see her in that Titanic video where she hits herself in the chest, I hope she does it hard enough and knocks herself off the boat. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, Todd, thank you very much for joining us. Check out all of his pipes and uh, hope to see you soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and uh, do make sure and check out Todd's Pipes. He's doing some really cool stuff. All right, for music, we are going back to Lalo Schifrin from an album called Talking Verve, and this is called Prelude Number 2, 
and it features Lalo on the piano. So here we go.
that was recorded back in the days when, you know what, they put the microphone in the middle and they split the sound and whatever came around, that's what you got. So I love listening to that on headsets and having it move back and forth on you. Mm, message from the dark side there is. There was a lot of nice comments on Facebook regarding uh, last week's interview with uh, Vernon Vig. On the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com, we have Casey Ghostwriting. The trip was good, but could have been a lot better. Who are the new doctors of Doctor of Pipes? I know you mentioned Vernon. Who were the first-time winners of the Masters of Pipes? And who won the Slow Smoke Contest, Men and Women? All right, let me pause right there. I, I went back and listened like I do to every episode, and yeah, that show report could have been better. It could have been a lot longer, too. Uh, So, for the sake of brevity, I kept it short. But I will say, besides Vernon Vig for the... uh, uh, Vernon Vig for the hobby, the trade doctor of pipes was Gregory Pease. The masters of pipes for the trade was Sykes Wilford of Smoking Pipes. And uh, for the hobby was uh, David Shane, who you might recognize from the Pipes Magazine forums as uh, Shane Teeks, I believe. Uh, the uh, So here's just a little background. Here's how the doctors are selected. Every, ex- every living doctor of Pipes gets to nominate one person for the trade and one person for the hobby. Then they write up a bio on the person and suggest why they be uh, why they become a doctor of pipes. The idea is that they should have consistently done something above and beyond the call of normal pipe collecting or normal work in the hobby, and they have to have done it for twenty years. So that's the I mean that's the standard. The competition this year in particular for the Doctors of Pipes was some of the fiercest competition I've seen in years, and I know that the voting was very close on both of them. Now, the Masters of Pipes, you, the listeners, uh, Chuck Stanion will be sending out a notice of nominations for next year's Masters, and here's what you do. Uh, Chuck will send out a request for a nomination, and it will have several questions in there. And essentially what you do is you answer those questions, write up a little bio on the person that you're nominating. Again, one from the trade, so one person who makes their living at the pipe and tobacco industry, and one from the hobby, person that doesn't make their living at the in the pipe and tobacco industry. Uh you submit them to Chuck at uh, uh, at a set date, which I believe is the end of December. And then he tabulates them, looks at them, and if I understand it correctly, and I could be wrong, but I'm usually not wrong. I am the leading expert on my own opinion, though, and my own opinion says uh, he picks the top three. And then those top three are sent to the Doctors of Pipes to vote on and add them. Uh, 
I believe the standard is uh, must have been must be doing this for ten years. But again, watch for notifications. You can follow uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, I'll let you know as soon as possible. And it'll also be announced in uh, the in the magazine itself. So those are there's a chance for you to nominate your uh, favorite person. Uh, and I believe they also must be under the age of 40. So the idea is to get some youth into the group. Um, slow smoke contest, men and women. I really don't know who won the men's. I know that uh, Scotty Pearsall of Kansas City and Pipe Maker and former guest on the show won the women's. And it's the first time the uh, women's trophy has been here in the U.S. for a while. A uh, couple of things that I left off the trip report. You know, I did one of those things that I tell everybody to do. If you see a pipe on the last day, if you see a pipe during the show that you like, and on the last day of the show you go back and it's still there, ask the person. You know, be polite, be kind. Ask them, all right, what's your what's your rock bottom lowest price? And I did that with one of the collector dealers and got a, a new little uh, J.T. Cook uh, sandblast, obviously that I added to my collection. Uh, the other thing that I was uh, really remiss in was it was fun seeing uh, Marsha Kramer there with her Kramer's tobaccos all tinned up, and she was uh, peddling them away, and I believe she even uh, signed a few tins, if I understand it correctly. And, again, just the uh, the the outpouring of, uh, of you listeners that came up to me and said hello, that was uh, definitely the... Uh, Definitely the highlight of the show. Uh, Casey Ghost goes on to write, uh, Vernon Vig was an outstanding guest. I can't imagine any good reason why it took so long to get his Doctor of Pipes. Vernon was very appreciative of my role in the Kansas City newsletter and uh, sent me several encouraging emails about it. His election to the Conferee of Pipe Smokers was well earned. He really gave a good presentation of his worldwide collecting. The rant was good. I would encourage people to get out to pipe shows also. Uh, I am uh, tired of people on forums saying I'd go, but it's 100 to 200 miles away. I hope it was just an oversight, but you completely missed the KC show in your wrap-up of pipe shows. Um, Yeah, no, I didn't. I left a a handful of pipe shows out there. I just kind of hit the... Uh, the four key ones that I think that are uh, big ones that, you know what, they're great shows every year, and they're also uh, stable. And if I understand it right, Casey is changing their date to a September date, and I'm going to look those up right now and give you uh, whatever update I've got for you here. The next one coming up, next pipe show is... The NASPC show, Columbus, Ohio, actually in Dublin, Ohio, August 25th and 26th. Then uh, the Greater Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show, September 22nd and tw- through the 24th. Uh, the West Coast Pipe Show, although not yet exactly confirmed, is uh, November 5th and 6th at the Palace Station Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, lastly, there is a uh, 
Dallas area or Texas pipe show coming up in, uh, I believe it's the first full weekend in October, and that'll be in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So lots of stuff coming up. Do your best to get out to a pipe show. Hey, I even heard at the uh, Chicago pipe show that there was somebody selling off uh, their father's or grandfather's estate of tobaccos where they were selling off uh, full tins or jars of tobacco, six, eight ounces of old bulk Dunhill tobaccos for $2.50 a jar. So you can uh, you can definitely find the deals there. All right, comments or questions, email me, brian, at pipesmagazine.com or post them directly on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. Follow the Pipes Magazine radio show on uh, Facebook. And in just a second, rant time. credit cards where you get airline miles or how many of you uh, travel and spend enough nights out where you actually get points at the hotels Um, how many of you are frequent flyers and then you go to use your frequent flyer points or you go to use the miles from your credit card and you realize it's harder than heck to use those points and use those miles and use them effectively it they the airlines and the hotels are making it so hard to use these points and use these miles that it's virtually a a useless or almost useless benefit the only time the only time and I'll pick on Hilton for example the only time that I have been able to regularly use a Hilton reward at the lowest point level which is 12,500 points per night, and I'll do a little calculation for you. The only time I've ever been able to do that was on a night before when that hotel was virtually empty and it was down at 12,500 points. Every other time, it's been 20 to 30 or 40,000 points per stay. Now, I'll give you an example. What they're doing is they are saying that they're giving away more points and you can get bonus miles by doing this and doing that. But even with the airlines, it's pretty much 50,000 miles for a round trip in the United States. If you want to fly at any decent time of the day or week and you want to fly to a direct location, what they're doing is they're bumping up the point values, but they're also saying that we're giving you more points. The trick is... They have a value time and a peak season time. Well, more and more is becoming the peak season. So if you're relying on these points or these credit cards that say that, you know, you can get this or that, I bet right now you're pretty much going to have to spend $100,000 on a credit card to get two round-trip tickets. If you're spending $100,000 on a credit card, well, (laughs) you're buying a lot of stuff to get a free plane ticket. All right, there you go. Ratings or reviews are appreciated. Hey, if you'd like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, contact Kevin at PipesMagazine.com and he will take care of you. 
Remember the next two weeks pre-recorded, watch my Facebook page and I'll uh, tell you all about it. And if I get a chance, I might even do a little Facebook Live from uh, somewhere out there in uh, Europe. So, thank you to Todd for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. On the road again. I can't wait to get on. What? Wait, what do you mean? He gets two weeks off and I still have to be here? Shit.